Hello everyone and welcome back to the Skyrim audio adventure. Wow, this one took a little bit, way longer than I was expecting because, well, let's, say, let's just say that I was planning to do one thing and then as I was writing I decided that it would be better to do something else. That said, thank you all for your patience and I've been getting a massive amount of support on my videos lately and I just cannot say how appreciative I am of that. It's really motivating to try to push forward with this series even when work and life and everything is, seems to be piling up to get in the way. Without further ado, let's get back into it with part one of chapter nine of the Skyrim audio adventure. From iron to gold. Is he dead? I don't know. That's a lot of blood. Why don't you ask him? Hey, dirt dog. Are you dead? What are we going to do if he is? Should we tell the guards? I guess. Or we could bury him. Might be good for the crops. The hunter didn't recognize the voices. He didn't recognize direction nor the notion of time. He recognized pain, but pain was boring. Pain was constant. What was ailing him the most was a light, floating sensation in his head. He felt at once that he was about to come unstuck from the world, and that he was unbearably heavy. Something was wrong. Something was loose. We couldn't do that, it's disrespectful. Plus this might be someone important, said the lighter of the two voices. Important? Really, Artie, look at him. Do he look important to you? I don't know, he's all covered in dirt and blood. I can't see anything. This could all be some plot. A conspiracy. He could have been dropped here. This could be a noble man of nobler deeds. He could have spoken out against some wicked lord. And and been silenced in the night and dumped here. And now we're the only ones who know the truth. The only ones who can see that justice is done. Well, that strikes me as a long series of baseless assumptions born of childish excitement. Oh, Tiak, I wish you wouldn't use those words with me. You know I get turned around. All I'm saying is, we have gods and traditions for a reason. We should follow them. Let them go to the Hall of the Dead. And all I'm saying is, surely the worst thing now would be to go to waste. We can put his loss to the gain of the land and the old. I think it's what he would want. Oh, he was making assumptions now. <laughs> You'll just sulk as the price of manure went up. Now, oh, this has nothing to do with that. This is about moving on from these archaic traditions and covens of priests and wizards. We should use our resources more wisely. Ooh, who'd I'd have made you y'all then? The hunter couldn't feel himself breathing, but he must have been doing it somehow. He quietly sent his mind throughout his body, inquiring about injuries. As his limbs slowly began to wake up, he found that they were stiff, but fine for the most part, just tired from all the training. The pain was in his right wrist, his neck, and a dull stinging cut on his face. Listen, would you agree that dead plants help new plants grow? 
Of course, everyone knows that. And bones and brains and all the stuff we don't eat also seems to help. It's common practice. Would you also agree that Skyrim can be an harsh and unforgiving land? Yes. And when one is in an harsh and unforgiving situation, one must use everything at he or she's disposal to survive. Yes. And so, granting that this is an harsh land, we should be able to make use of every resource, including the dead, to get by. Now. Why not? Because unlike you, I don't consider people a resource. Ugh, you'd make a terrible foreman. That says maybe, but it doesn't matter now, does it? Look, he's waking up. Oh, so he is. Do you think he heard us talking about burying him? Doesn't matter. I'll just tell him it was your idea. Oh, you wouldn't dare. The hunter felt the cool soil he had sunken into overnight. It had compressed and conformed to his shape, being the rich, loamy soil it was. He was very pleased that he didn't smell any manure, but that wave of relief was matched by a report from his leg that his right ankle was badly twisted. His head, though. His head. Look, do you have any idea how much living space there is underground? Cavernous tombs and ancient cities reaching down to depths unfathomable. But no one lives there. It's all miles and miles of dead things and ruffians. If we clear it out, make it habitable living space, before we'd know it, we'd have a lot more space for our children to live. That place isn't empty. There's all those uh, underground people. The Dwemer or something. The Dwemer extinction, moron. What? Since when? Since before you were born. Well, no one told me. I see people walking around with this stuff all the time. Bits and bubbles. Weapons, too. And you think people would be walking around with their stuff if they was alive? I don't know. I just figured they were very generous. Course not. The Dwemer went extinct a long time ago. Now all we've got are the technologies and the ruins. And many of those ruins are still inhabitable. But all we do is hand them over to wizards to go piss about in. I've met a few wizards who are decent people. You. You've met wizards. I've met people claiming to be wizards. Well, it's very easy to claim to be a wizard. True, but... If I was going to lie about it, I'd be so nervous that someone would ask me to do a magic trick. Did you ask them to do a magic trick then? No. Why not? I just didn't want to be one of those people. Oh, and what sort of person is that? It's like everyone assumes that wizards float everywhere and wipe their mouths with their minds. I mean, wizards can be normal people. They most certainly cannot. They're wizards. See, I don't feel that attitude is very helpful. Furthermore, I didn't ask because I didn't want to put them on the spot, you know, in case they were lying. Then how can you claim that you've met many wizards? Look, it doesn't matter. All that matters is whether or not you yourself would want to live in a Dwemer ruin, or as you say, in depths unfathomable. No. Well, there you go then. Fine. What were we talking about again? You were talking about what you should do with me. The hunter grumbled, finally opening his eyes. Oh, that's right. <laughs> the hunter heard a spade drop to the ground as the man above him gave a high shriek and leapt away. The sky was dim and hazy. It was hardly after dawn. The face of a bald Nord in a bandana came into focus. He had a short beard that curled at the tip like he had tried and failed to braid it. Rise and shine, interloper. What brings you here? 
The hunter tried to get up, but a great pain stung at his chest, as if he'd been stepped on by a horse. He lay back down and felt for his pack. He found it next to him and sighed in relief. Where am I? he asked. You're in a wheat field, in the farm of Clan Battleborn. Uh, and where is the farm of Clan Battleborn? White Ronald, just east of the city. East? The hunter didn't remember crossing a bridge last night, but he had been pretty checked out. Chance brings me here. I got lost on a midnight walk. A midnight walk? What, you daft? No, just clumsy. What happened to your eye? The hunter felt the dagger hiding in the dirt by his shoulder and surreptitiously moved the bag over the top of it. Like I said, clumsy. You sure he ain't a dead thing? Came the high voice as a curious face, masked with greasy hair, peeked over the wall. No, he's not. But he should be. Ah! The high one yelled again as the hunter's hand reached up, gripping and clawing at the stone of the wall. With some effort, he used the large inset stones to pull himself to a sitting position. His wrist and ribs protested, but he pushed through. Uh, so what does that make you two? Farmhands? Obviously. I'm Tiak. This is Hardy. Now if you don't mind coming over the wall, you're technically trespassing, and we don't need you upsetting the crop. Of course. The hunter grumbled and gingerly stood. He gathered up his gear, stowing his dagger in his bag as he did, and spun himself over the wall so he was sitting on it, looking at the two farmhands. They both wore similar brown vests with many pockets full of shears and small wooden spades. Tiak was husky and leaning on a hoe. Hardy, thickly padded, was tightly gripping a shovel. Behind them, a hand-pulled cart rested on the road. You didn't happen to... See anything strange on your way here, did you? Tiak looked around. Well, found you. And that was strange enough. Yeah, seconded Hardy. Who are you anyway? The hunter tried not to roll his eyes and glanced at the ground around the farmers. They were standing on a sea of wolf tracks. Not well-defined prints in the mud, but more like impressions in the dust over the well-compressed earth of the road. He wanted to look for something bigger but noticed the silence hanging in the air. He straightened his back and brushed some dirt off his shoulder with a haughty motion he'd seen the merchants use back in Helgen. If you must know, I was once a noble in Riften. I knew it! Squealed Hardy, rapidly tapping his friend on the shoulder. Didn't I tell you, T? I was in the shipping business until I was betrayed and set at the mercy of the malefactors of the city. I barely escaped with my life, and now I live in exile. Oh, was it Maven Blackbriar, that witch? Yes, it was precisely that person you just said yes. Truly, she is a formidable enemy and a worse ally. Oh, I bet she is, and you'll be headed back some day for revenge? With great fury and might, indeed. Now, the hunter looked to where the two wolves had wrapped his rope around the fence. It was gone. He shook his head. Everything was hazy. There was a dull sting right behind his right ear, and he felt he might be sick. Have you, uh, seen an odd length of rope around here? Perhaps over by that fence post? Huh? Oh, you mean this one? Tiak reached back into the cart 
and produced a length of coiled rope. Yes, that's the very one. I'd like that back, please. Hang on. Tiak recoiled, eyeing the hunter suspiciously. How do we know that this is your rope? In fact, how do we know that you're even a former noble? Oh, Tiak, don't be rude. Shut it. How can we know that any of what you say is true? Could I convince you that this is my backpack? I suppose so. I haven't seen anyone else with it. Then can I convince you that the rope in your hand is the same rope that is reinforcing the straps on my pack? It's a common make of rope. That proves nothing. The hunter dropped his chin to his chest in building exasperation. Just that motion nearly made him wretch. Not that anything would have come out. He was ravenous. Okay. Then, how do you explain that I knew where to find it? Tiak stood defiant with narrowed eyes. Could have been a baseless assumption. Lot of those have been coming up roses lately. Now you're just being stubborn. Listen, you milk drinker. We found it. It's in our hands. It's our rope. The hunter quirked an eyebrow. Have you tried smelling it? What? Tiak looked confused, and promptly, before thinking, took a whiff of the rope in his hands. Oh! He reflexively dropped it right into the hunter's waiting hand. What in the world? That rope, it smells like terrible rotten meat! The hunter calmly slung the loops over his shoulder. Actually, it smells like wolf drool, and... Look at that, it's in my hands now. I guess it's mine. Why, you little... Morning, Tiak. Hardy. They all turned to see a strong imperial woman with long, dark hair and a smudge of dirt on her nose. She was pulling a handcart half full of crops, and a little girl was walking alongside her. Lady Carlotta! Came Hardy's high call as he whipped around and bowed to her. A very good morning to you as well. Tiak looked back at the hunter for a moment before scowling and taking off his bandana. He nodded at the hard-working merchant woman. It's good to see you. Are you headed to the pumpkin grove? Carlotta Valentia paused as she took in the group. Yeah, I... Stranger? The hunter met her gaze but couldn't hold it. Is that... is that you? He looked everywhere but her and adjusted his shoulder straps sheepishly. Yeah, it's me, he eventually admitted. Carlotta set down the cart and walked over to him, brushing her dusty hands on her dusty dress. What happened to you? You look like the dead. Oh, that's just the blood loss. I'll be fine. What happened to your face? There was an accident. What were you doing? The hunter sighed. I was I was taking a walk. <laughs> Excuse me, Lady Carlotta, but do you know this fellow here? Carlotta didn't take her eyes off the hunter. Something angry was swirling behind those irises. Yeah, I know him. He's a fool, and I'm taking him back to the city. I can walk there myself, the hunter objected. Oh, can you? Carlotta stepped back to her cart and put her hands on her hips. Walk to me right now. The hunter glared at her. She must have noticed that he wasn't putting any weight on his twisted ankle. That's not fair, he grumbled.
Strong woman that she was, Carlotta had little difficulty dragging the hunter's wiry frame back to the gate in her cart. Mila helped too. Not by pulling the cart with her mother, but by walking alongside and refraining from hitching a ride herself. As for the hunter laying back in the cart, things were getting worse fast. Riding in the cart felt like a long, protracted freefall. He could only get his eyes to really focus on something for a few seconds. The stinging behind his ear was growing to the point he could hardly feel that side of his head. When they approached the battered ramparts, about a half dozen guards were standing around in a circle making a ruckus. As they got closer, the hunter realized that the noble defenders of the hold were taking turns spinning a white run shield on its edge and taking bets on how many rotations they could get. He could hear them counting in unison. They seemed to be getting excited around the ninth rotation. The sight of the much-desired widow and the anemic hunter was enough to distract the guards from their game. A dirt-smudged smile and a bat of the eyelashes was enough to convince two guards to help pull the cart up the winding path to the main gate. He didn't remember the gate opening for them, only the jolt as the cart came to a stop at Carlotta's stall. Life was slowly leaving his limbs again. His head swam when he tried to stand, and he felt his legs give out. Strong arms before gold sashes caught him on either side and pulled him along. Stars swam before his eyes as stairs drifted by below. A gruff, worried voice reached him. Why the nine? What happened? Where are you taking him? I don't know. He needs to go to the temple. Who are you? The voice was very familiar, but suddenly the hunter couldn't place it. He blinked, trying to find the memory, and the blizzard raged before his eyes. The flecks of snow stung his face, and he tried to swipe them away. The right side of his head went cold. No! We're lost! He cried. Please stop it! We're lost! I want, I want to go back! We have to go back! He tried to flail his arms, but the blizzard held on tight, and the stairs kept passing by. We're not lost. We're going to the temple. Just keep your eyes open, stranger. The hunter's eyes focused for a moment on a familiar, dark-haired face. Bury me, he said. Don't let them take me down there. Bury me. Let me grow. Let me grow. You like things that grow? Then look at this tree. It's called the Gildergleam. It's a special tree, so keep your eyes on it. Priestess! Over here! This man needs help. It's companion business. The hunter looked up at the tree, mouth dry and temple throbbing. The branches were leafless, but flowering. Pink petals around a yellow center. Round and bright like a gold coin. He watched that coin spin in the air as the world grew dark around it. Finally, it danced alone in the black. He reached out his hand, snatched it, and he was lost. The world of thoughts and senses ran away, and so he wandered for want of mind into impulse and memory.
The water lapped gently at the posts that held up the dock. Morning mist was rising off the lake, painting everything in an eerie, clouded gray. Even the sun at his back felt chilled coming through the gloom. A deer roared from some far shore, and the high sound seemed ghostly and twisted. It didn't seem to bother the boatmen down below, who, with tireless consistency, were setting about the preparations for a day of fishing. The boy watched it all from the roof of the fishery. His knees were hugged to his chest, and he shivered in his thin rags with every gust the lake sent whipping by. He started to count the seconds between when he saw the wind ripple off the shore, when he felt the wind chill his small bones, and when he heard the wind rattling through the trees in the city. Are you thinking of going for a swim? came a soft, raspy voice behind him. He turned to see a small, dark figure clumsily clambering onto the roof. It was swathed completely in a dark brown robe that was clearly too big for it. Beady eyes peeked out from a deep hood that kept all the face in shadow. Hey, Zach. Just enjoying the view, the boy said, gesturing at the foggy panorama. Another gust of wind picked up and the robed figure had to clasp at their hood with gloved hands to keep it straight. The newcomer looked around, awkwardly turning their shoulders rather than their neck. Hmm, some view, they said sarcastically. The boy moved aside, offering the newcomer a seat beside him. The figure took it and leaned back, letting their legs splay out before them. They flexed their toes in the brisk air, but there was something different about them. Their ankles and feet were covered in speckled gray and brown fur, and their toes were broad and beast-like. Did you hear what Joe was up to? No, the boy said, unperturbed by the hairy display. Well, you might want to check on her. She's being weirder than normal today. The boy raised his eyebrows silently. What's she doing? Well, nothing really. She's just sitting by her bed, staring at an empty plate. Hmm. The boy shrugged. Not too weird. Remember the time when all the cutlery went missing? Or the turtle incident? So you're not going to check on her? Nah, I'm kind of liking this spot. Oh. The figure looked around again. It's a good spot? There was silence for a few seconds. Then the figure started fidgeting. First came the adjusting of the robe, then the rubbing of the feet, the tapping on the knees and the surreptitious glances over to the boy. So then... They said eventually. If you're not going, do you want to help me steal some more fish from the smokers? Your burns have healed, right? The boy let a long breath out through his nose. So, she's just staring at it? He eventually asked. Yeah, hardly blinking. The boy sighed and stood up. Okay, let's go. Here, I'll help you down. Oh, I can jump down myself. Fine, just make sure you keep your tail tucked. Keeping their heads low and sticking close to each other, the little ones made their way through gray alleys of aspen wood over watery divides and across rooftops till they came to a narrow building at the edge of the city. Sneaking along a thin, wizened garden path, the pair came to a window with a loose hinge. 
The boy quietly jimmied the hatch with a long metal pick, and the window swung open revealing the hefty padlock on the latch inside. As the two halves of the window swung open as one bound together by the lock, the pair crawled through. They found themselves in a long room with rows and rows of tiny beds. Dull iron candle settings were affixed to the walls by every bed, but none of them were lit. The only light came from the gray day outside slithering through the locked windows and minute cracks in the molding. From this pale light the boy could see several rows away the waifish figure of a young girl, just into her teen years. She had long hair, such a dark shade of brown it may as well have been black in the low light. She wore a long-sleeved dress over thin boy's pants. A convergence between the need for proper appearance and the desire to be less cold. She was sitting cross-legged on the bed and, sure as Zack had said, had her gray eyes fixed on a dark iron plate. The boy looked at her for a moment, then over to his hooded friend who simply shrugged and shook their head. Or at least he thought Zack had shook his head. He heard a rustling sound, but the hood didn't move. The boy looked back to the room. Where are the others? He asked in a hushed tone. I think Relad sent them out to work. Probably baking in the market or out picking berries. Is everyone holding up okay? Yeah, for the most part. We're mostly worried about you since you left. Well, I didn't leave, leave. Still, the jumble of robes shuffled its feet shyly. They'd be glad to see you. We can't risk that. Go keep an eye on the front in case Grillard comes back. Okay, good luck with her. Zack flitted away with surprising silence for a running pile of laundry, and the boy was left alone with the seemingly catatonic girl. He stepped over to her quietly, but loud enough for her to hear him, though it seemed she wasn't listening. Joe? He asked tentatively. No response. He moved around to the front of her and tried again. Joel? Still nothing. Her gaze remained resolute, fixed. He saw a bead of sweat roll down her brow. Finally, he stepped behind her and without warning, clasped his hands over her eyes. Stop that! She burst out in a high voice that echoed off the walls of the empty room. The boy hushed as she threw his hands off. Relax, relax, relax. I thought you were dead. Oh, do you normally cover dead people's eyes? She demanded, turning on him and glaring with those greys. They were deep-set and a little puffy, giving her the look of someone who didn't sleep much. I think you're supposed to, yeah. No, that's stupid. You're stupid. Not as stupid as your face. Where in oblivion have you been? Not far. Don't worry. What are you doing? The girl straightened her back and tossed her hair importantly. What does it look like? I'm trancing. Trancing. Yes. I don't think that's a word. She glared daggers at him. It is, and I was totally doing it till you messed it up! Okay, don't shout. The boy held out his hands, placating. Why are you trying to... go into a trance, anyway? Jolel sniffed and looked away. Why? It's not like you care. I do care, the boy said, taken aback. No, you don't! Joe! The boy insisted in a voice that was both tender and impatient. I care. What's happening? The girl looked back at him with a little pout he was familiar with. Finally, she tossed her hair again and picked up the plate. She held it out to him, displaying it like it was some fine treasure. 
This plate is made out of iron. The boy furrowed his brow, unable to refute her claim. Yes? He said questioningly. So I'm going to turn it to gold. She said it with such surety that the boy was silent for a moment as he mulled over the impossible claim. How? He eventually managed. With magic! The boy's eyebrows shot up. You can do magic? Joe's eyes fell momentarily. Well, no, but... She swept her hair back over her ears, revealing them to be ever so slightly pointed. I'm a Breton, and I read in this book that Bretons have a natural epiphany for magic. Affinity. Bless you. So, if I just focus hard enough, I should be able to turn this plate to gold. She was beaming at him, those gray eyes boring into his browns. He might have been leaning back. She was definitely leaning forward. Okay, but what are you going to do with the gold plate? I'm going to leave. He straightened himself. Like, leave, leave? Yes. You're just, you're just going to go? Yeah. Where? Anywhere. Anywhere but here. Something desperate had snuck behind her eyes now. What about adoption? That's never going to happen. Not here. Joe's eyes had turned to fire. We're her playthings. She'll never let us go unless someone barged in here and stole us, and who in the world would ever do that for us? The boy took a deep breath, trying to breathe through the emotion she was pushing into him. Grelod beat you again, didn't she? It wasn't really a question, and the girl didn't answer. She only looked away and curled into herself. Show me your arms, he demanded, reaching for her, but she pulled away. Don't touch me! She shouted, her eyes suddenly brimming with tears. Just go! I'm going to become a wizard, and you're never going to have to check on me again! I... The boy was struggling to find words. I, I wouldn't want that. I... Oh, but it's okay for you! She cut him off. It's okay for you to go and leave us, but I have to stay. Why? Just so you can visit when it's convenient? That... Hold, that's not... Let's not forget... You all ratted on me and started this whole thing. I had to get out, but I'm still here for you guys. You're trying to use me. You're just like her. Silence hung over the room for what felt like millennia. Then, the door creaked open, and the bundle of rags named Zack came running in. Guys, you're being too loud. I think she's coming. Joe didn't miss a moment. She was under the bed in a flash. Steps could be heard approaching quickly, and Zack disappeared somewhere along the wall. The boy looked for a place to hide, but he was just a little too lanky and awkward to fit anywhere. The door swung open with a bang, and he turned to see a middle-aged woman, dark hair streaked with gray, and sharp features that once upon a time would have made her handsome, but now only made her look like a witch. Grelot the Kind had arrived. Dark eyes scanned the room and settled on the boy caught like a rat in the daylight. She grinned a grin that was just beginning to yellow, and was as chilling as a blizzard's bite. Oh, how nice of you to make an appearance, little vermin. I do see so little of you these days. She closed and locked the door behind her, and began walking closer. You missed breakfast again today, but don't you fret. For I'm kind after all. 
I saved all the porridge you've missed. It's all waiting for you in the back room. Please join me in the back so we can put some meat on those bones. The boy glanced around as the fearsome woman bared down on him. She was between him and the loose window. He took several panicked steps back before he heard a loud pop and a shattering of glass behind him. He and Grelod looked to see the hem of a robe disappearing out of a freshly broken window. The candle fixture was missing from the wall. Without a second glance at Grelod, the boy took off running and somersaulted his way to freedom. The screams of Grelod the witch followed him and Zack as they disappeared into the late morning of the city. Skirting around a rich-looking chimney, the two young ones quietly leapt a two-story gap and crept across the roof of the parapets at the north gate. Not fearing the height, Zack leaned out over the edge to peer beneath the overhang. His tail flicked rebelliously under his robes as he did. Then, seeing an opening, he swung down and the boy carefully followed. Soon the two were huddled, breathless between an assortment of barrels, having put most of the city between themselves and the fiendish woman. They did their best to stay quiet as the guards strolled by during the morning's change of watch. The boy was able to snatch an apple from an unsupervised food tray. He took two bites and tossed it to the hooded Zack, who shook his head and tossed it back. I've had breakfast, terrible as it was. The robed figure reached up and lowered its hood. Before the boy was a strange mix of pubescent child and cat. The furry face complete with tall pointed ears and long whiskers. His eyes were solid pools of crystalline blue. No pupils made themselves obvious, but apparently the young Khajiit had no trouble seeing. Zack tossed his head back and sighed with relief. You cannot imagine how hot it gets in there. I can't imagine what the guard will do if they catch you, so cover up. One day, I'm going to be able to walk around this city without a hood and no one will be able to do anything. Ah, good luck. Why not leave the city? Well, there is no guarantee that another place will have so many good hiding spots. And fish. The cat boy took off his gloves and rolled up his sleeves to air out his scrawny fur-covered arms. Besides, who better than the cat to rule a city of rats? The boy chuckled. <laughs> You've got me there. So, what do you think? Zack asked. What did Joe say? Hmm. The boy took another bite of the apple. They're worse. They're way worse, both of them. <sighs> I don't think you can go back. Grelard will skin you alive if she catches you. I was about to say the same to you. I'm sure she knows who smashed that window. The Khajiit wiped his feline nose on his rolled up sleeve. It's okay. I think I might be done with that place anyway. The boy did a double take, then turned pensive. Do you think Grelard will tell the guards what you are? Eh, probably. But even if she did... She'd only get in trouble for sheltering me all that time. I doubt that'd stop her. Again, you may want to consider skipping town. Nah, I'll just stay with you. What am I, an inn? I live in a net. Sounds like an upgrade to me, but we're getting off track. What about Joe? The boy ran his fingers through his loosely curled hair. He snorted and shot a nose nugget out the right barrel. She wants to leave. Leave, leave? Yeah. The boy bit into the apple core. 
She's trying to turn an iron plate to gold with her mind. How does she expect to do that? Magic, the boy said impressively with a waggle of his hands. But as cuckoo as that sounds, it's not what worries me. Zack leaned in, concern in those large opals he had for eyes. I think Grelod is singling her out somehow. Remember all that burning wax I got before I left? Yes? I think it's been moved on to Joe. Ah, that witch, Zack muttered, shaking his head. Well, that settles it. She comes to stay with us. Great lakes, Abzakar. You talk like I'm living in a mansion out here. It's tough. It's tough now, and I haven't even made it to Frostfall yet. Joe isn't like us. She's not meant for this. Yes, she deserves better. But she's not getting it where she is. Of course not. The boy rocked back and forth, eyes looking everywhere except his furry companion. After a moment, he stopped. What about the others? Maybe we could get everyone out. Zack's drooping ears shot up. <gasps> we burned the place down! He said excitedly. No, no, <laughs> the boy said, fighting a smile. But I wonder what it would take for us all to get a carriage somewhere. Like, how much money? Yeah, just the next town. Seven kids, one day's travel, that's uh, 14 gold, assuming the carriage is already going there. The boy blinked at him. How do you know that? The Khajiit shrugged. Money's important. Huh. The boy cleared his throat. How much to charter a carriage to go somewhere specific? Ten gold to get it moving, plus uh, one gold for every extra body per day of travel. So it's fourteen gold for us all to hitch a ride. And sixteen gold for us to go in any direction for a day. Well, not any direction. Carriage drivers don't like going somewhere they don't know. It's bad practice. But it's only two gold extra? Uh, yeah. Technically. Then let's get 16 gold and get out of here. How in all the nine holds are we supposed to get 16 gold? You've got sticky fingers. We'll just steal it. Have you ever held gold? Zack demanded. No. Well, it's heavy. Really heavy. People notice when it's gone. I can't just lift it. Well, that's... Stupid. Darn it. The boy sat back with a frustrated huff. Zack shrugged again and pulled up his hood. The boy sat back, tapping his foot for a long while, listening to the guards shuffling by, the wind in the hollow rafters and the neighing of the horses just outside the gate. Have you got any more ideas? Zack asked. The boy nodded. Oh, I might. What is it? The boy waggled his hands again with a sly grin. Magic. Thank you for listening to part one of chapter nine of the Skyrim audio adventure. I hope you weren't too bothered by the, the high tenor that I had to do a lot of the dialogue in because I, I somehow convinced myself that I could record the dialogue in the character's standard voices and then add a pitch filter, a, a pitch modifier to pitch everything up and then I'm like, and then they'd sound like kids, right? That's how it works. No, that's not how it works. I wound up with all the characters sounding like chipmunks. And so I had to go back and uh, re-record all of the dialogue for this chapter. And 
sort of walk it backwards from what I knew the characters sounded like in their adult lives to bring it back to what they might have sounded like when they were younger. And I thought that some of the results worked out, some of the results were awkward, but it, at least they weren't chipmunks, so <laughs> that was a bit of a process that went into this. Thank you very much for all of my commenters, subscribers, and Patreon supporters. I hope to see you in Chapter 9 Part 2. And once again, thanks for listening.